I'm excited. We got a bunch of new concepts coming up here. We're going to try to get a bunch of inspirational content for you guys. This episode with Katie Arnold is sort of part two. And if you're interested in part one, check out the Rob Steger podcast. I'm trying to branch out in when there's almost no running talk at all. Um, I'm starting to put some conversations on that podcast, but I think it it's also fun for people like Katie where we can uh, talk for extended periods and have a part one on that podcast and then a part two on this podcast. So again, check that podcast out if if you're interested in kind of the first part of this Katie Arnold conversation. And I, I do have an episode with Tom Foreman that goes kind of deep into um, – some of his background, which was fun. But there's a lot of other things going on besides the podcast. You know, I'm working on a film right now, The Funny Runner, featuring Brittany Charbonneau. It's being well-received at some of these smaller film festivals, and hopefully it'll have a public release here soon. I'll definitely let you know. I'm also signed up for Leadman in 2021, so quite a few races in Leadville. It will be um, a heck of a challenge, and I can't wait to share that with you guys. I also signed with Hammer Nutrition and Exoskin for 2021. Still working on a few ideas for additional sponsorships, but really want to focus on you Patreon supporters this year. And that reminds me, there's going to be a slightly different shout-out. So if you are in that shout-out tier or above and you want your name and location mentioned, uh, email me send me an audio clip. I'm going to start including those at the end of each episode. They'll be fun to hear. And I think that's about it. I wanted to kind of open this season with a message I received from Rochelle S. So check this out. Thanks. Hi, Rob. I know you get messages like this all the time, but you're truly an inspiration. Just got back into running and I'm training for my first road marathon in February. And your podcast is amazing. I can't wait to run an ultra one day. Your podcast pushes me through runs I don't feel like doing, and I'm on episode 76, so I'm super pumped that I have a lot more to listen to on my training runs and beyond. Also, just finished watching The Triple Crown on Amazon, and I can't wait to get your book in the mail soon. Thank you so much for all you do, and keep crushing it. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. Jam Jam, Jamil Curry here from Era Viper Running, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. This is Tim Tweetmeyer. Run a few Western states in the days. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? Decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. Right now, I'd say that my beers per day is still higher than my miles per day that I'm running. 100 miles is not that far. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 157 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and we have a great episode. We have Katie Arnold on. She's an author, runner, and contributing editor to Outside Magazine. She's the author of the book Running Home, which is a great read. I highly recommend it. But this is essentially part two of a, a two-part episode. So part one is on the Rob Sager podcast. Check that out if you're interested. But it's it's nice to have pure non-running talk on that podcast and then uh, a lot more running focused on this one. Sometimes we'll cross over, but this is a longer interview, so it was nice to cut it into two different podcasts. So big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. If you haven't tried them out, feel free to use my promotion code, referral code 252888 to save 15% off your first order. Also big thank you to Exoskin. We re-signed with them for 2021. Check out the show links for just great promotional codes.
And then big shout out to you Patreon supporters. Again, we're going to have a slightly different shout out, so stay tuned for that. Enjoy this episode. Katie, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Really enjoyed your book. You know, I've followed you for quite some time on on social and it's just, you know, exciting to have you on. So thanks for joining me. I'm psyched to be here. I'm really excited to to talk to you about about everything. I want to hear more about your kind of mental framework with Zen. I mean, do you see it from a religious standpoint, like a spiritual standpoint? Because, I mean, I, I touched on it um, in my writing. I know you touched on it a lot in your book. It's definitely a common point of interest or, or view of the world that we share. Um, but I, I want to hear more about kind of entry into that. Yeah. Um, well, two parts. Um, I do see it as, as spiritual. I wouldn't say religious. I haven't like, right when I hear that word religion, I kind of get like my back up a little, I think because I was raised, um, Episcopalian and like church every Sunday and like, tuning out completely everything that the minister was saying and just like dying to be outside playing. But like here I was in church. And so none of that ever really resonated with me. Um, And, but finding my way to Zen, I, I am coming at it with an interest and curiosity in the, in the sort of spiritual teachings or that or not just the kind of mindfulness um uh approach but like wanting to know like study some of the teachings from the old zen masters um and and to understand that more deeply rather than just taking it as like um a mindfulness practice i do think mindfulness is so important but for me i just i have a, a deeper interest in the store, I guess it is, it's, it's the stories behind the Zen that interest me. And that maybe because I'm a, I'm a writer and a storyteller myself, but I, I'm, I found that I have more and more interest. You know, I came to it like strictly as like, I came to meditation strictly as like, what can I do to feel better? Um, this was when, after my dad had died. And as I said, I was in this like intense anxiety, um, where I was sure I was dying. Like, completely sure for like 18 months and that's a really hard way to live especially when you have like I had a newborn baby and a two-year-old and I was so caught up in like this weird narrative that I was sick and dying that like I wasn't present to them I mean I was but it constantly pulled me out and so sitting for me I came to it like I had you know tried meditation earlier just as like a very energetic person, like thinking, oh, it might, you know, settle me in some ways. So I had dabbled in it, but it was really after my dad died that like, I sought it out as like relief, as like a way to quiet my mind from all that agitation and anxiety. And um, it totally, you know, helped. It it wasn't the cure-all, nothing's the cure-all, right? But, you know, running, if anything was, it was running, but sitting, and I would only sit like two or three minutes. Like I didn't have any stamina for it. Um, and so it kind of got me through that initial triage period. And and it's really only been in the last few years that um, much like running was like when I was mourning my dad and running through my grief, it felt like triage and like I just have to run because nothing else makes me feel better. And then kind of when I popped out of that, I wanted to see I wanted to explore it more deeply. And that's really when I started doing ultras and racing. And it's the same with sitting. Like I got through that initial phase and period. I survived. I didn't die. And then I came out and I was like, okay, now I want to know more. Like I want to know um, some of the stories behind this. And um, I want more than just the sitting and the stillness, if that makes sense. Completely. I think there's probably a lot of people right there. So what what was the next step for you? What did you pick up or what did you learn? Well, um, it really was uh, my friend Natalie, who we've m- mentioned, um, 
is Natalie Goldberg is she lives in Santa Fe and um, we became friends. Um, she's a prolific writer and has written many books, most famous of which is writing down the bones, which is sort of, um, you know, a book on writing. And um, she's also a Zen student. And so she, she weaves in a lot of Zen into her books and, and, I had signed up for a writing retreat um, the fall, like that my second daughter was born. And I just felt drawn to take it because my, you know, I'd had, a, I had one child and then like I had a newborn and like, I felt like my writing was stalled out. So in that sort of like editor's way, I was like, okay, now I'm going to take a workshop and someone's going to give me feedback on my writing. And, um, and that's not what Natalie does at all all right. Like you just fill your notebook. She gives you writing prompts and, and her thing is like, you have to learn to tune out. Like we were saying before that editor's voice and write and dig in deeper and write what's true inside of you and not worry about the editor. And, um, and so I signed up for the, her retreat and, um, just in one of those like super strange serendipitous moments, like the retreat started on the day that I found out my dad was dying and Natalie and I became friends at that retreat and, and have stayed, you know, close friends ever since. Um, and so she has been a big influence on me. And I guess what I'm getting to is that, you know, she gifted me this book a few years ago called Zen mind beginners mind. You may have read it. You probably have. And, um, that, is sort of was the gateway into kind of my next level of exploring Zen and beyond just the sitting, but sort of like the deeper principles of like, don't, you know, don't sit to get something right. Like let go of in Zen, they call it gaining ideas. So let go of the thing you want from sitting and just sit. And I just, everything in that book, I couldn't believe I'd been friends with her for like seven years. And she, I didn't know about that book. I, she'd never talked. And, you know, we would talk a lot about Zen and writing and life and mothering and kind of the whole thing. And I was like, Natalie, what you have been totally holding out on me. And so that book, and when she gave it to me, she said, you know, you might not understand any of it. And she did not mean that as a commentary on me but just on the book that it can be tricky to understand. And I'm not kidding. I, I think I took it on a hut trip up to Colorado and our annual ski hut trip. And I opened the book and I was like this, you know, the Zen master Suzuki Roshi is inside my brain. Like I understood everything yeah. and I didn't understand it with my brain. Like I understood it with my body. And I, when I texted Natalie, I was like, I, I don't mean to be, presumptuous but like this guy gets me and she laughed <laughs> he's been dead since 1970 you know and she laughed and she was like but then she was serious and she's like you understand this because you understand running and so like for me the book zen mind beginner's mind like almost everywhere suzuki roshi talks about sitting or zazen as it's called in zen meditation if i replace that with running we are speaking the same language. So that was really my gateway drug. That sounds so cheap, but like into Zen, because I was like, the, I, I mean, I, I understand this with like my, my being. And then Natalie, I would try to explain it to Natalie why I understood. And like, we would go on these hikes, like we always did and talk about this stuff, you know, like the not knowing and, um, and talking about it, like we would have, we would, you would grasp it for like one second. And then like you take five steps down the trail and it would be lost your idea or like your understanding of it. And I spoke to Natalie, who's been a Zen student and practitioner for 40 years. And she's like, oh, that happens. It's because you're touching it with your subconscious, right? That's not like your cognitive brain. And so it can slip away and it's hard to articulate. And that's very Zen, you know, Zen mind, beginner's mind is like, don't try to understand this with your brain. And I think that's why maybe as runners, like it comes naturally because we really, I do sort of interpret the world through my body and running in it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, 
I I can completely relate and I I did not have a Natalie for myself. Mm-hmm. I just kind of personally started sensing things differently and I want to talk about flow cuz it's it's a topic I want to say 99% of people probably are clueless on. Is that a safe presumption? I mean, any anytime you make a comment that uh it, you know affects more than a billion people, it's normally not a great thought, but um <laughs> do you think people understand flow and then I want to hear the best way you can describe flow for yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's getting like a lot of play right now. And, you know, there's certainly been books about it. And um, so I I think people understand it. And but I think that there's a sense that it's this elusive state that you um, exist outside of us and like only, you know, champion athletes or performers um, reach that state and and often is tied to results, right? It's often tied to like a performance, say of like, you know, a basketball, you know, like Michael Jordan in flow, Mm -hmm. you know, scores like a million points or whatever. And my understanding of flow is a little different. I think that it's um, coming at it as a writer too, like feeling that the flow is a state that exists in us that we just need to align with more. And um, there's certain things we can do in our life to kind of help prime us for flow. I don't think like, I always resist like when people talk about like the hacks for flow or, (laughs) you know, I don't even know what that word hack means, but like right away when I hear it, I'm like, it's, there's no hacks. Like you just have to show up and do and live your life and do your work and and do what you love and um and so for me i think my idea of flow is not just that sort of like sports psychology idea but it kind of merges into the zen world a little which like i think zen is a lot about flow but it's about but they would describe it as presence like being awake is being in flow and so um for me when I am really attuned to sort of what's going on around me, when I'm not distracted by my phone, when I'm not caught up in trying to get a certain result, that's the biggie for me is like detaching from that really like sticky wanting mind of like, I want to win this race or I want my book to be a bestseller. Like when I'm, when I'm living from that end result and I'm working backwards from that, I'm not in flow. And I think it's hard to be. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't have dreams or it doesn't help to have intentions or goals, but put the process and like the moment by moment, like ahead of the goal that those should be primary. And I think from my experience, when you live or run that way or write that way, the, the results often do follow, you know, and, and are positive results. But, um, I think it's really about being present to the moment. And like, so I write about this in my book, like flow can be all sorts of things. Like I was certainly in like a prolonged state of flow when I won Leadville. Like that was, you know, 19 hours and 53 minutes of like almost constant flow. Um, But it's not just the high points. And, And that's, I think sometimes one idea of, of flow is that it's just like the highest highs, right? Like the best things ever. But I felt that I was in flow even when I was going back to Virginia when my dad was dying to visit him in that I, all my senses were heightened. I was hyper aware, time slowed down. Like I was very present. I remember I was like one time I was sitting by his bed reading to him and I was nowhere but in that chair next to him reading. And that I think is a flow state. Like it was painful and I was sad and grieving, but but I I don't think I've had that state of heightened awareness and presence very often in my life. And I certainly seek it when I run. I think that's one of the reasons I run is to teach myself how to be in that state more. And it's, it's absolutely like... 
how I aspire to write um, and do my best writing. But so I have a more like generous or inclusive view of flow. Um, and I, and there are certain things that I know that if I do that, I'm more likely to be in flow. Um, and some of that is, is just like, I think humility and gratitude are, are essential to being in flow. Um, not thinking you're going to like dominate something or, um, but just being open to receiving what you're going to learn. And, and somehow I've always known, like, I've always come to running that way, like as an ultra runner from my very first race, I think, cause I knew nothing about it. I was, you know, I'd signed up for a 50 50 K race rather. And I had like done my training, what I thought was my training. I didn't have a coach. I, I didn't have a plan, but I, I thought that I'd was adequately prepared. And when I showed up, I just had the sense of like being like, okay, I'm ready. And now I'm just going to see what happens. And that feeling has stuck with me in almost every race. In fact, the few races where I don't have that feeling of like, okay, show me like I'm in receiving mode now. That's really what it feels like. I just flip the switch. I'm like, okay, receive. Like, what is this going to teach me? The few times I haven't been in receiving mode and I've been in that sort of like clutching like I, people are, you know, are watching or I have to prove something like I've had quite poor races. And so that feeling of like switching over into just like, no matter what, I'm going to learn something. And if I can just be in flow with what this run is teaching me, then that's what's important. And so that's kind of my approach to it is coming at it from like a, a humility and an openness that's interesting. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can, I can kind of force myself into flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like it's not a hundred percent like external variables that impact the type of, of flow or mindfulness. It's, I, it's hard to describe <laughs> as you, you've all people know, but, um, like I can, I can force myself into it and click into it, but then uh, there are days when I just can't click in. Like yeah. no matter what the external conditions, just sometimes there's just too much going on for it to work essentially. But would you say you can practice to the point where like within 10 minutes, whether it be a podcast interview or a run – or writing or whatever it is, like you can get into that mind frame like pretty quickly because you've practiced it. I think it's, I think it's practice. Um, but I think sometimes I feel like I find myself in it and I just kind of fell into it. Um, it's sort of like falling in love. Like you don't know you're in it. And then all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, I'm in it. Or like in a race, um, you know, all of a sudden you're just feeling so strong. And I remember this race where someone was like, came up to me and they were like, you are total beast mode. (laughs) And I had not like tried to get in beast mode or said like, I'm going to get in beast mode. Just like with like falling in love. You're not like, I'm going to fall in love. Right. Like, you just find yourself in that state and you've, it's like you've gone through this like little portal into this other state of being. Um, but then, like you said, there's other days where like I, I say to my girls, like sometimes you're clicking, sometimes you're sticking. Like that's just how it is. Like sometimes things are just clicking along. And then other times you have those really sticky days where nothing seems to work. And I think that's part of the flow too, right? Because then you get feedback from that and you're like, what was it about today? Oh, I was totally in my head. I was worried about X or Y, or I was, I was concerned with like social media, you know, and you, I, I can tell, like, I'm pretty good at self-diagnosing, like why things didn't feel good. Um, But then I do have a practice my sitting practice is really important. You know, I, I don't sit long still. It's like 10 minutes maybe at a go. Um, but then other things like just going out and riding my bike around the neighborhood, like for fun, 
you know, being in that sort of flowing movement and open awareness state. When I ride, it feels very childlike. I rode my bike all the time when I was a kid. And, you know, it's like the ultimate vehicle of freedom. And so when I do things that make me purely like joyful, like riding my bike, that is an important practice. And it's nothing like go put on your like clipless pedals and like get kitted out in your like riding gear. No, it's like I'm going out in my blue jeans and my flip flops. And so doing things, I think if I had to just summarize, it would be like doing the things each day that like move me and make me feel joyous um, are really important. And that, and they don't have to take up a ton of time, you know, like we're busy, like humans are busy. We have more on our plates than we can handle. We're parents, we have jobs, whatnot. Um, but like a 15 minute bike ride, like just for kicks is a pretty great way to sort of like get yourself into flow or maybe your thing is walking or, you know, whatever that thing is that like makes you joyful and feel almost like a child like that, that's important. That's not frivolous. And I, for the longest time I thought, oh, that's selfish or frivolous, but it's actually essential. I mean, tell me what other aspects of your life changed when you started, you know, meditating and, and going more in that Zen route. Um, did your diet change? Anything else? No. Um, I just felt like more centered, uh, like it's been a really big part of my running and my, my training though. It would be unzen to say like, I'm sitting to be a better runner. Like I'm sitting to sit. And sometimes I think it helps me be a better runner Um, but, um, no, like I didn't, I didn't change my diet. It's just like, gives me this like center line that I feel like is pretty unshakable so that I can go into different races or different runs or, you know, projects and feel that like, no matter what happens, it's this then idea of like no good, no bad. Like no matter what happens, if it goes the way you want or it doesn't, like it will teach you something and it will take you forward. And so it's made me like less attached to results or more open to like all possibilities versus like I only want this one thing. And and that's just obviously like helped me um you know, be a more patient mother and it's helped me with my writing. So it's had like profound effect, um, for not very, I mean, I I sit, I do read a lot. So like oftentimes I'll like read a couple, like a little bit of a Zen book and then sit on it, not sit on it literally, but like sit with (laughs) it. Or both. I mean, (laughs) sit on it. (laughs) Wasn't that a saying? Sit on it. Um, I and you know, sit with it, and then like take it out with me in my run. Like the idea, whatever kind of idea percolated to the surface while I was sitting, and then try to run into an understanding of it. And that's sort of how I like study Zen. Is like you know, some sitting, some reading, and then a lot of running on it. And it somehow just put it puts it into my body in a way that I understand more vividly. Um, and so it's changed the way I run. Like I, I remember this one run last fall, like up high in the mountains um, outside of Santa Fe. And I was sort of like had some trepidation about the run. Like maybe I hadn't been at altitude for a while and I was worried about it, that it was going to hurt. And um, I ran And it was like, I wasn't running in the mountains. Like I had disappeared and the mountains were running. It sounds kind of crazy, but like, and I had read a chapter in one of my Zen books that was talking about that, like um, the mountain climbs the mountain, right? And, and And suddenly in my run, like I was like 15 miles in and I hadn't remembered running it. Someone probably listening is like, she didn't eat enough. <laughs> she was dehydrated. But it was like the state of where I had disappeared. And and 
in some ways, that's what I seek when I run now is to like disappear and have it be the mountain running the mountain. And um, I don't know if it's like I said, it's hard to articulate, but it's it's taking a lot of that like goal and results out of it um, and 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 moving in a different way as a runner. Do you do you think you would have won Leadville if you hadn't kind of discovered this new mental uh, framework or? Um, I don't know. I think there's so many factors with with that, but one of the big ones was that I had come back from this really traumatic accident, wilderness accident, where I'd broken my leg on a water rafting trip in Idaho in 2016. And, um, it was a six day river trip and we, I broke my leg on the first day and I stayed, I stayed on the river. I didn't know it was broken. Obviously I have a high pain threshold and I was hoping it was like soft tissue, but Anyway, I got off the river, you know, and it was just like a hell trip in many ways because I, I had to be carried everywhere and, and like it was big water. And um, and I got back to Santa Fe and my doctor was like, it's, you know, it's broken. And he sent me to an orthopedist who was just like, hey, find another hobby. Like so dismissive. And like and then he was like, if I were you, I would never run again. And those words like haunted me. And so. I think they be kind of kind of became like an organizing principle about how I would run, you know, and, and like that I kept thinking of his words and it wasn't that I was doing it to prove him wrong, but I had this moment probably about like eight months into the recovery, you know, I had surgery, I was off my foot, my leg for 14 weeks and where I had this realization that like, wait, that was his story, but it does not have to be mine. Kind of like what I was saying about my friend earlier who was like, you should definitely have someone record it. And I was like, fully. And then I was like, oh, wait, no. His story is that he had to stop running. But my story is that I'm going to keep running. And his story was that running hurts your body. And my story is that running has always healed me. And so that, so when I talk about gratitude as as like a conduit to flow, like that's what I'm talking about. Like when I drove into Leadville, like after a whole season of doing the work, but not even knowing if I would be capable of doing the distance. But I drove in and I like the mountains were so like beautiful. And I was so moved that I had gotten there despite what my doctor had said, not again, because I was trying to prove him wrong, but because I was trying to prove myself right. I I felt just this incredible gratitude that I was like, no matter what happens, like, it's, it's just a celebration of how I've, I've gotten here. And so I think that was really like an important mindset to be in <clears throat> coming into that race of just like pure gratitude. Like I, you know, he could have been right. And I could, you know, my, my running could have ended that day on the river. Um, <clears throat> so, so that was important, but then also like this, this Zen idea of like the mountains have an energy and I felt that and I've always felt that. I mean, I'm most at home running in the mountains. And so that was this sort of idea I had going into Leadville that like I have a finite amount of energy, but the mountains have boundless energy. And like if I can tap into their energy and kind of flow with that, they're going to carry me a lot farther. And then like probably inevitably I'll pop out. Yeah. But but then I'll have to just hold on. So my plan was like ride that flow of the mountains for as long as possible. And then when I pop out, sorry, my girls are home. No problem. <laughs> uh, then when I pop out, just, you're just going to have to gut it out. Um, and I ended up like being in that flow with the mountains the whole time. The, and whole, kind of, the whole time? Whole time. There was one wow. moment where I was climbing Hope Pass the first time where I felt like I was running out of a little energy, like it was raining and I was wet. And, and so probably for like three or four minutes and I just was troubleshooting. I'm like, okay, it was like childbirth. Like I'll never forget this. I had a 30 hour labor with my first daughter with no medicine. And, um, 
my doula was like, just she kept having me change positions if something wasn't working. And so I use that when I run, like if something's not working, change it. So like take out your music. I put my music Mm -hmm. on, you know, I got my trekking poles out. I'm like, okay, I need something different. I need to change positions. And so I just was troubleshooting. I changed positions and I got through it. So that was probably like three minutes. And, and then I was like in it again. Yeah. And um, so it was way, it had gone way better than I had planned, but I did have a plan, which is like, uh, the mountains are way bigger than me. <laughs> I'm just this like person with finite amount of energy, but like they're infinite. I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, I, I mean, how much of the race do you actually remember? Cause that was a phenomenal race. Like, <laughs> sub 20 hours. Um, I, I do you remember, remember much of it? I, I remember most of it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, like I'm a writer, so like I wrote so much of it down, but I do remember, I remember going out early. Like I remember walking to the start with my friend Susie and my husband, Steve, and like kind of crying a little. I was so grateful and moved. And then like, I remember starting out and just like, don't go too fast, like really holding back. And I remember like running in the dark along, um, the lake and with this pack of people and just being grateful for them. Cause I'm like the, you know, the friend that I talked to was going to pace me at the end had said like, use the people in, in the Congo line along the lake as like a pace, you know, to slow you down. Yeah. And, and so I, um, yeah. And then I remember like coming through the first aid and like, leaving that. And I was running in this section with this guy who had like a John Denver haircut, like a Bob. And he was like whooping in the air and like we were whooping back. So I remember like, there's, I pretty much remember it all. So I, I saw you at, at Twin Lakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Outbound or inbound? Uh, inbound. Huh. I think. Yeah. Inbound. And then uh, I distinctly remember a whoopee cushion following you. Yeah. Yes. That was my daughter. <laughs> yes. My eight, she was eight at the time. Maisie was in a whoopee cushion costume. And so my, I had like a very like ragtag bunch of crew. I mean, they were amazing, but like I'd only rallied them like a few weeks earlier because I just, I didn't know how to like what I would need. And I didn't know how to ask for help from people I thought I needed help from. And so my friend Susie came and she brought like a whole bunch of costumes and my girls were at like every aid station I came to, like they were in different costumes. So there was like a disco outfit and then there was like other things. And then there was the whoopee cushion and it was just hilarious because I would come through and, and they'd all be switched up again. Um, so yeah, Maisie was, was running with me in the whoopee cushion. I, I can't wait to share that video with you. Um, yeah. and so along, I, I think it was that same aid station. I captured something that was kind of shocking because I think you were in first or second place, right? Yeah. Addie Bracey was right there. That's where I passed. I caught her at, at that aid so, station. What was really crazy is looking at the video of you leaving the aid station. And then I think Addie like was just rushing up the hill. Her pacers yeah. right there. And you were just like, you weren't in a different world, but you were mm-hmm. totally carefree. Like she yeah. passed you and I think you're eating some watermelon or yeah. something. And just like, eh, no big deal. I think your pacer was m- maybe more concerned than anyone, but um Yeah. It was fascinating to see you like just kind of where you belong there, like, you know, winning a race, no big deal, having a snack. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was such a a cool moment because I had just, my husband had paced me from Winfield back over to twin. And, and even before I met my husband, like, um, you know, at Winfield, like people had been saying to me like, oh, she's just up there or like before I made the turnaround and they, and I had runners coming at me telling me this, like there were spectators on the course, like, Oh, you're two minutes back. You're three minutes back. And I was like, that's so cool. But like, I'm changing nothing. Like there is no game change here. Like I'm just running like I'm, and, and they were all so pumped for me. And I was like, that's, I just felt like no, um, 
pressure or even desire to change what I was doing. And so when I caught up with my husband and then we were running up hope the other way and people were coming down, they're like, you almost got her. And I was just like, my husband was singing men at work songs and like (laughs) we were just goofing. And so um, when I got to twin and, and she was there, um, honestly, like, my thought was like, oh, I'm going to get to, like, I'm going to get to visit with her. Like now I have someone to talk to. (laughs) I thought we might like talk while we ran. Like, honestly, um, it sounds kind of weird, but like, I was like looking forward to like interacting and, um, and I have pacers who I was talking to too. So it wasn't like I was lonely, but like, I just thought it would be this like relational moment. And, um, I also knew that it was still so early. Like someone had actually mm-hmm. told me, don't even think of it as a race until like mile like 65. Um, and so I wasn't even really in race mode. I'm like, oh, it's not 65 yet. Like I'm just hanging out. And um, and maybe like Addie and I'll chat for a little bit on this climb. I knew it was a climb out of the aid. So I also was not stressing because I had a plan. I was like, I'm going to use my trekking poles and I'm going to power hike this. And um And so, yeah, I had that, like I was eating and the only moment I had in that whole, like leaving the aid station was like, I had a cup and the spectator was like, here, throw me the cup. I'll throw it out. And so, but if you didn't hear her say that, you just see me like, really, it looks like I felt very carelessly throwing a cup onto the ground, which I would never do, but she was like, give me the cup. And, um, so yeah. And then I, my Joe and I had our plan. He was like, he had my poles. I was going to power hike. And, and I wanted to, I said hi to Addie. And I, you know, I was like, uh, maybe we'll talk. And it was clear she didn't want to, or that wasn't what she was feeling good. (laughs) Yeah. And so then Joe and I just went and, but even then I was like, I, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm being chased. Like I just want to run the plan. So here's a weird question, but did you win the race at the start line? Do you think that um, in a weird sense, like you'd already won the race before it even started just because of where you were in such a good mind frame. I mean, Leadville's a race where if you push at that altitude, you're, you're going to be thrown up or yeah. feeling horrible. I mean, insofar as like, I had never thought about winning the race, like even at the start line, yeah. even two days before when I finally sat down and like tried to like look at my time budget and like I I never look at what other people do it in and I I like I don't really time myself and look at my pace until like maybe a few weeks out from a race so so finally I was like okay so maybe I I can get to this aid from that aid to this in this amount of time And, and I would always round up like always add more time you know and um so, you know, then I was like, well, conservatively with like padding, I'm like at a 21 hour time. Um, but I, I just, some, I didn't think I would win and I wasn't focused on that. And I also like never look at who else is racing. Um, and so those I think helped me, um, help me be in that sort of freer state of like, I'm just going to be with the mountains. And I also know myself and like, I get a lot of energy, like I said, from, talking to other runners, like engaging with the aid station people. So like I knew the things I would do to help give me energy, you know, like talk to other runners, like be super like psyched on aid. And, um, and I had my plan, like, don't go out too fast. Um, so, but I, I think it was like the right amount of preparation and leaving a lot of room for like openness to what happened because, um, if I'd had such a strict plan and if I'd like been running on my watch and like, what are my splits? Like, I don't think I would have been in that free state at all. Yeah. Well, I, I think you explained how to win hundred milers. You don't do it during the race. You do it leading up to the race because right. I mean, you can get away with pushing beyond your limits for maybe a marathon, 50 K 50 miles, but hundred miles, like you just can't push yourself beyond where someone else is you know beyond your own limits to try to you know 
beat someone else, in my opinion, it's pretty rare. There's a few people, but it's just too long of a distance to redline. You just can't do it. And I, I think that is the difference. Like I didn't ever feel like beyond my limits and, um, also, and this is like a mindset I've had for quite a few years, like since I first started doing competitive running, which is informed by my Tai Chi practice, which is, you know, early, early on, like 10 or 12 years ago, my Tai Chi teacher was, you know, I went to him for like, this is going to sound so random, but like he taught tennis based on Tai Chi and I was really into tennis and, but he gave me, and I was a total head case in tennis. Cause like one person wins and one person loses in tennis. <laughs> you know, it's really like, it's a very, um, specific situation. And he just told me like, don't try to beat your opponent, be unbeatable. And that's always stuck with me. It's like, don't put the focus on like beating someone, but be unbeatable in yourself. And, and I think that speaks to how I show up, like having done the work and, a big piece for me is like, if I can have that run like a few weeks before a race where I'm like, oh, that's the feeling I want in the race, you know, like you have a training run where everything is just in sync and, um, and, and then to have the awareness to be like, okay, that's the feeling like I'm going for that feeling and to kind of put that feeling into your body and your muscle memory is really helpful. And so I had one of those runs and I'm like, okay, this is how I want to feel on race day. And, um, but like n- never setting out at the start. Like when I was walking to the starting line and I said I was emotional, like I, I was emotional because like the, how circuitous a path it had taken me to get there. You know, like I thought I would race Leadville someday, but that was like 20 years earlier when my mode of my mode of racing was my mountain bike. I thought I was going to race it on my mountain bike, but you're going to laugh, but like hundred miles on a mountain bike back then seemed insane. I was like, I can't on my mountain bike that long. So like, lo and behold, like I do make it to Leadville, but on, you know, as, as a runner. And so like n- the winning or the result was, was like not top of mind. Can I just tell you, no one's talked tennis ever um and i i've played in one or two tournaments i was horrible uh doubles a -hmm. doubles game i hit my partner in the butt (laughs) uh trying to trying to really slam down a a serve and i think i quit tennis like within a few months of that experience um (laughs) tennis is like it's hard right because like it's not like running where like you're all spread out and you know, like you're running your own race. Like you are like you are competing against the person across the net. I loved, I mean, I used to love, I grew up like playing tennis and um, like I have many thoughts on tennis, but, um, but yeah, that stuck with me, like be unbeatable. And so like create the conditions within yourself to be unbeatable. Yeah. That's amazing. So did you change at all when you came through the finish line at Leadville? Oh, completely. Did I change like in myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was the most like euphoric moment of my life after like birthing my babies and getting married like easily. Um, it was just this feeling of like what just happened, like this incredible convergence of like all the parts of me merging into one Like, so there was like no gap between like me, the runner, me, the writer, me, the mother, you know, and, um, it was like in Tai Chi talks about like this limitless power, like it just, um, so coming away from that feeling that of all the things I'd gone through and like, I never had imagined that moment, um, it just made me realize like when we get our minds in the right place that, and when we listen to ourselves and act from that place of like personal authority and like inner knowing that like we're capable of so much more than we ever thought. What what did Ken Clover say to you when you, he, he had to give you a hug at the end, right? Give me a hug. He, 
I can't remember what he said. It was, it was raining. My kids were there. My friends were absolutely freaking out, losing their minds. Steve was there, of course. And um, I mean, I will say coming down the finish line and seeing the finish line ahead of me. And I was with Wes, my pacer, who was incredible. He paced me from last, um, he paced me from outward bound to 25 miles. And um, he was like secretly working like the comms, you know, like texting people to get the splits. I was so oblivious. I was just like, at one point I was like, Wes, what time is it? (laughs) I know what time. And he's like, it's a little before 10. And, And so I was like, able to do the math the very rudimentary math and I was like wait can we go sub 20 and it was cool to shift at that point like he knew we knew I would win and then it was like okay let's go for the secondary goal which had never even like I'd never even thought about Um, but we're coming up you know and Wes is like um, gotten really quiet behind me and I'm like shit we're probably not going to make 20. Like Wes has stopped talking. So I was like, cool with that. You know, the wind was, you know, still like completely sealed. And um, we see the lights of Leadville and Wes is like, as we get closer, you're going to give me your pack and headlamp and just run in with nothing. And I was like, okay. Like I was just taking orders then. Like, (laughs) and I'm like, good idea, Wes. And we're coming down, you know, the little hill and then the little rise and like, just as I go to break the tape, there's a shooting star above me, above the finish wow. line. And it, it had been raining. And so like the clouds parted and Wes was like, did you just see that? And I said, yeah. And he's like, someone up there is cheering for you. And it was just like, it was absolutely a surreal, like you couldn't have scripted that. That's amazing. That's, that's truly amazing. Um, and congratulations. I mean, it's more than just a, a, a win. A hundred mile victory, more than a belt buckle. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it was a truly profound moment in your life. Very much so. I mean, that's what Ken says, like beforehand, like this race will change your life, and it did, like in so many ways. That's why we keep doing it. That's why. Pretty rare for a hundred miler or two hundred miler to not change you, and if it doesn't, yeah. then maybe you want it or. Maybe, I, I don't know. I, it's pretty rare for a hundred miler not to impact your life at all. Um, so oh, on you a, do farther distances. Wow. No, yeah. Um, don't worry. There's plenty of time for that. And that's, uh, if you're not meditating for 20 mile segments, I don't, I don't know how you guys do it. Yeah. Um, on a serious last note, what have you done with the Leadville trophy? That's a pretty hefty trophy. Ah. Um, has it collapsed any like bookshelves yet? I- isn't it like a. Yeah, no, it's like an ore cart. Giant a, ore cart. Metal. <laughs> yes. With um, it's rusted with, it has a ton of rocks in it. And so it sat on our, on our dining room table for a while. And like, and then I think it should have sat there the whole year, but my husband was kind of like about it and <laughs> he's super supportive, but like he's, he's also like a man of insane humility. And so like he, maybe at a certain point he was like, all right, you don't need the trophy on the dining room table. And I was like, I want this on the, my table for the rest of my life. But anyway, I moved it upstairs and I took the rocks out because they were sort of like, yeah, I just felt like it was a little bit cleaner like it had a better aesthetic vibe going without the rocks. And now in it, I put a lot of the notes I got from people after my race. Like I got this wonderful note from a friend. Um, I think she was a friend I was mentioning earlier who was going through a really hard time. And, um, and she was like, had this incredible line about like when humans become divine energy. And I was like, that's exactly what that was about. And um, and, and I put in a letter there from, um, Senator Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, who sent me a note after I won. And so it, it stores some of my like nice things that I don't ever want to forget. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I am, uh, I'm thinking about this last quote, be who you really are and mm. go the whole way. Lao Tzu. It's from your book. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that, and then I want to hear where people can get the paperback copy. 
Yeah, that that quote was sort of like um, finding my title, running home. Like I, I just stumbled upon this quote one day, and I was like, "This says everything about this book." Um, that I knew by then that I was writing, be who you truly are and go the whole way. Like you always have to be yourself. And that's like my absolute guiding principle, like in writing in running in being a mother in being in social media, like trying to navigate that world, like be who you really are and then go the whole way. That's such a Zen idea. Keep going, you know, continue under all circumstances. Don't give up. And, and I used to think that meant like keep running no matter what. Now I understand that keep going, you know, continue under all circumstances means like rest when you need to, because you're going to keep going like you're taking in the long view. Right. And so, um, just keep continuing, keep practicing, like, keep showing up, keep writing. Um, and yeah, there's days when not many, but like when I don't want to go out the door or when I don't want to open my computer and those are the days, like it's really important to keep going and to show up for those. Um, and, and to just be yourself. Like I remember when my book came out and I was like going out on book tour and this wise person I know just said to me, like, I was worried. And, and he was like, just be real in every moment. And honestly, that's like the answer. Cause then you don't have to be afraid about anything. I love it. Keep being who you really are. We love, yeah. we love everything you do, Katie. <laughs> you. you share, you share the good stuff. <laughs> you share the tougher stuff that a lot of people are going through. And I love all the Zen stuff. <laughs> it, yeah. it was enjoyable. So Thank you for for taking so much time. I'm I'm grateful. You ask such good questions, and I, and you know it's as right as any runner knows. Like it's so much more than running, um, and yeah, it's really it's really fun to dive deep into it. And and you had asked about my book, so it's it's just been released in paperback, so you can get it. I'm I'm a huge reader and as a writer I really encourage you to support your local bookstores um whether you know you're doing curbside um or they're open for business like call your bookstop store and they can order it if they don't have it but um they're so important to our communities so buy local or you know it is available online at the usual suspects Amazon and Random House um and it's also as an audio, as we talked about, it's on Audible. And that's a pretty fun way if, if you like to listen while you run. Um, and yeah, and, and then you can find info. Like I do, I am leading running and writing flow retreats. Um, we have been on hiatus, obviously, for the pandemic. But I'm just starting to plan um, the a one for fall 2021. That seems like a reasonable <laughs> time that I was thinking, you know, we were, I've I've been really trying to get one off the ground for spring and I just kept hesitating, which is always a sign to me that like, you know, to listen to that hesitation. And I realized it's, it's, you know, a little premature with the state of the world, but, but those are great. And they're for anyone on any stage of the writing or running path, right? You don't, people say to me like, well, I'm not a real runner or I'm not a real writer, because either they don't run at a certain pace or they don't publish. And I'm like, if you do that thing, you are that, right? If you run in any way, you're a runner. And and we all have stories we want to tell. So those are pretty great. And you can find people can find info about that on our on my website at katiearnold.net. That's awesome. Plan plan one in Denver. Maybe we'll yeah, right now it's in New Mexico, which is, you know, New Mexico is such like, the book is in some ways a love letter to New Mexico and how the landscape has shaped me. And so um, I've been scouting a lot of trails for the retreat on the CDT, um, a lot of routes. And, and that's actually my next big running project is I'm going to run the whole CDT in New Mexico. Awesome. Katie, thank you again. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. 
And that was episode 157 of the Training for Ultra podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, that was kind of part two of a conversation. Part one is on the Rob Sager podcast. But big thank you to Katie Arnold for taking so much of her time. Definitely check out her book if you get time. Big thank you to the show sponsors, Hammer Nutrition and Exoskin. And then big shout out to you Patreon supporters. Hopefully we have a new shout out coming soon at the end of each episode. Don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week. See you.